Hey, man, a little boy had some questions here, didn't he? I think a question there at the end is, you know, how did she know that she would see her husband again? And she said, let me tell you about Jesus. You know, when we become a born-again believer, we get the promise of being God's children. We get the promise of one day spending eternity in heaven with him. And we get the promise that we're going to see those and we will know those who've gone on before us. But really the most important one is when she said, let me tell you about Jesus. And we know all those things because of his promises. But is a promise any good if the promise one can't keep the promise? Someone ever made you a promise before? I know they've done me that they couldn't fulfill. It becomes disheartening. You lose some confidence in them. Well, in our book of Romans that we've been looking at, if you'll go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 11, remember Paul was writing to those Jewish Christians, those that had converted in, and the last few chapters has been very disturbing to them as Paul has been talking about that unless one comes through righteousness of faith, that they don't come. And he's talked about how there were many of the Jews that had rejected God, And all of a sudden, all they're seeing come to the Lord through salvation are a bunch of Gentiles. And that's what he was talking about as we've gotten up to this point 11. But he has to answer the question today. Because he knows what they're thinking. Well, if God made a promise that the Jews were his chosen people... But now we see that God has sent the message to the Gentiles and all the Gentiles are coming to faith. Is God going to keep his promise to the Jews? We don't see that. But I'm here to tell you that our promise giver is a promise keeper. If you would stand with me as we look at our passage today and work through this question that he has there. Romans chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. I say then, has God rejected his people? May it never be. For I too am an Israelite, a seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know that the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have torn down your altars, and I am alone am left, and they are seeking my life. But what does the divine response has to say to him? I have left for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. In this way then, at the present time, a remnant, according to God's gracious choice, has also come to be. But if it is by grace, it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. What then? What Israel is seeking, it is not obtained, but the chosen obtained it, and the rest were hardened, just as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, his eyes to see not and ears to hear not, down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap. 
and a stumbling block and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened to see not and bend their backs forever. Father God, I do pray now, Lord, that you would open our eyes, that we may behold wonderful things from your word. Father, we may learn more of who you are. That, Father, that our hearts would be softened and our ears open to hear from Holy Spirit. Lord God, I just pray everything in the precious, most holy name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. As we begin looking at the nature of God, if you remember, we've been looking at three aspects of that. And I know I've gotten out of order on my slides, but she'll put them up here. What we're looking for, these three parts as we've looked through there, list to us. Can you find it there? There we go. We looked at the sovereignty of God in chapter 9, the justice of God in chapter 10, and now today in chapter 11, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at the faithfulness of God. Our God is faithful. Our God can do what he said. But what I want us to understand is that we need to beware of the hardening But what I want us to look at here and understand is what this was that Israel was going through. These Jews, these Roman Jews, were going through after reading this letter. And Paul talking about God choosing the nation of Israel and then making a promise to them. And now he's moved over and he's sending his message out to the Gentiles. They're wondering, has God forgotten about the Jewish people. Is he no longer, since Christ came and died on the cross, is he no longer choosing the nation of Israel? That's what he says there, verse 1. I say then, has God rejected his people? And then he says, may it never be. And I love that when you read this and you understand in the original language when he wrote his God rejected his people, it's written in a format that demands a response of no. God has not rejected his people. He said, may it never be. He says, I want to give you three examples to prove to you that God has not forgotten his chosen people, the nation First one, Paul himself. He says, look at me. What does it say there? Verse 1. For I too am an Israelite, a seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. Paul saying, I'm in the chosen. I'm part of that Jewish. God hadn't gave up on everybody. There's at least one left. There's me. He says there that he's of the tribe of Abraham, the seed of Abraham, the tribe of Benjamin. I found this very interesting in studying this and and went and shared with Nicole when I was looking up this, the tribe of Benjamin. Do you know out of all of the 12 children that were born to Israel, the tribe of Benjamin comes through the line of Benjamin. Do you know he was the only son that was born on the promised land soil? All the other 11 were born outside. But Benjamin was born in Canaan area. And he says here that he is an Israelite. He's of the seed of Abraham and of Benjamin. So God has not forgotten the people. Here's proof. Second one, he says, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. There at verse 2. Whom he foreknew. God chose the people of Israel to be his nation. Remember the scripture says that he chose of the smallest. He said, but just because you're small don't mean you're not going to be mighty. 
He chose them. He knew them. And even at this point now, he foreknew them. He knew who they were. They were his people. He made a promise. He made a covenant. He made a declaration with Abraham that his people would remain. That they would be God's chosen people. And thirdly there we see again in verse 2 it says, Or do you not know what scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he appeals to God against Israel? Let me catch you up on this Elijah story. Many of you might remember Elijah was a prophet of God. And all of God's people at that time, not all of them, a lot of them were turning away. Baal, the worship of Baal was becoming very big. Elijah was a bold prophet. He he called up some of Baal's prophets and he said, I tell you what, let's prove today who is the real God. He said, you prophets, let's build two altars. I'm going to build an altar to my God, you build an altar to your God. Let's put a sacrifice on there. So the Baal people came and they built their altar to Baal. They put their sacrifice on there. And in the morning they began calling on Baal to come and to receive the sacrifice. Well, time goes by nothing happens. They keep calling out. They begin cutting themselves and they begin doing everything they can, crying out and nothing happened. And then Elijah said, I tell you what, y'all dig a trench around mine. I want you to pour a bunch of water on it. Now, what does water do to fire? Puts it out, right? He says, cover it in water. Fill the trench up. Pour more water till it's overflowing. And then Elijah calls out to God, and out of heaven comes a fire. It consumes all of the water. It consumes the sacrifice. And at that very moment, it was proven who was the real God. And they begin killing some of those other prophets. Elijah has just been a witness and a participant in a great miracle of calling upon the Lord and him coming down and doing that. But what happened? Oh, Jezebel, she sends a word to Elijah. You just think you're good. I'm fixing to kill you. What does the little man do? He puts his tail between his legs and he runs. Let me tell you, I've been up on Mount Carmel. And I saw how far he ran. And that little guy ran and ran and ran, scared for his life. And then he gets there and he's under the trees calling on God, basically, just come take me. God, there's nothing more. What does verse 3 tells us, referring back to that first Kings passage? He said, Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have torn down your altars and... I alone am left, and they are seeking my life. He said, God, all of your people are gone. I'm the only one that's left. And God responds to him with a divine answer. Look there, Romans eleven four. What does the divine response? God comes back to Elijah, and he says this. We, it's again referring back to 1 Kings, but Paul uses it here. I have left for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. God's saying, Elijah, you're not alone. I am upholding to my promise. And there are still 7,000 people who are left. 
What Paul's trying to get these Jews to understand in this letter to the Romans is God hadn't forgot about them. Can you imagine what God has done with those 7,000 remnant back from Elijah's time? There are many more than that in the church today, Paul is saying. Yes, God can keep his promise. The first thing in your outline is God's promises. He can keep them. He made a promise and he's showing them right here. Paul says, here's three things to prove to you that God is able and will keep his promise. The first one being that I am a Jew, but yet I am a believer in God. He says, God foreknew his people. He's not going to give up on them. And then he said, Elijah. But can you imagine Elijah You know, sometimes, I don't know if y'all are anything like me, when I read some of these and I read Elijah, I'm like, Elijah, you just experienced something great. And just a few moments later, you want to run off scared? Do you not think that God can handle himself after he just did that? And you know what God does when I do that? Puts a mirror right in front of my face. He says, how many things have I done for you and yet there's still times that you do the very same thing and you wonder, God, are you there? God, can you do this? God, you gave me this word. So that's what he's saying. God's promises are there. But secondly, not only is it God's promises that we're looking at there, But we also have God's remnant. Remember he just told them that there were 7,000 left. And last time there's more there. Let's look at verse 5. It says, In this way then, at the present time, a remnant, according to God's gracious choice, has also come to be. So here he is. He's reiterating this point that there is still a remnant. There's a, a small piece. At this moment, there were more Gentiles coming. But there was still a remnant of God's chosen people, the nation Israel, those Jews who were there. And God is still bringing into that number. But at the time it was not as grand and it was not as great. Verse 6 says, but if it is by grace, it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. This is where he's getting to them. He said, it's about grace. You know what grace is? That's God giving us something we don't deserve. God chose the nation Israel. God has kept the nation Israel as his chosen people. They don't deserve that. I mean, come on, we've got the whole front part of our Bible. The Old Testament that shows how many times they turned their back on God. How many times they cursed God. How many times they said even when God brought them out of Egypt, you know, why would you bring us out here? Let us go back. Into the sin they were. Let us go back into our bondage. But God chose graciously. And he says there that it's no longer of works. Remember God gave them a bunch of laws to fulfill the point to who he was. And we see even in the the life of Abraham and Isaac. Where Abraham was considered a man after God's heart. He was faithful. In believing that God would do what he said when he sacrificed, or he was going to sacrifice son. God said, take your son Isaac, 
the one whom God had promised him, put him on an altar and sacrifice him. Well, Abraham was faithful to go through that and God stopped him. Number one, we know God don't want human sacrifice. But God had promised him that through Isaac, that there were going to be great things that happened. And that's what he's saying here. It's no longer about your works. You see, it was Abraham's faith, his work, working with his faith. But it's no longer about faith. So it's about grace. What is happening is happening out of God's grace. What is going to happen to the nation of Israel? What's going to happen to the Jews, God's chosen people, is out of grace. We know and we're going to look at in a couple of weeks how there is going to be a returning of God's people because he promised them that they were his chosen people. While right now, There might be a focus on the Gentiles. God's using those. But there are still some Jews coming. But he said it's grace. God has chosen them. And there will be that remnant. And out of that remnant will come great things. So we have God's promises. We have God's remnants. But let's look at God's hardening. The third thing there on your list. Let's look at verse 7. What then, what is Israel seeking? It is not obtained, but the chosen obtained it, and the rest were hardened. What was Israel seeking? He's asking, what were they after? They were after righteousness. God had chosen them. He called them to be set apart. They were after righteousness. But what does it tell us? Let's look over. You might have to turn a page to Romans 10.3. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago. And it describes for us right here what it was they were seeking. Romans 10.3 For not knowing about the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. They wanted righteous. They wanted to be righteous in God's eyes. But they were choosing to do it their own way. Let us take the laws that God has given us Let's take our worship practices that God has given us and let's do these and do everything we can to do them right and in the right way. Let's add our own. And you know what? We can get there. We can do it on our own. No. It's about God's grace. It says here that what they were seeking, which was the righteousness, they hadn't obtained it. Why not? Because they didn't do it the way God said You know, that's all it boils down to. If you want God's righteousness, you come about it the way God says. And God says there's one way, one way only. That's through faith in my son Jesus Christ. And in what we call the gospel, the good news about his death, his burial, his resurrection. God said this is the only way to obtain righteousness. He gave them the law to show them you can't do it. Remember what we said last week? For those who were trying to do righteous, if you could keep all those laws, you would have to do it from the moment you're born until the moment you die. Never one bad act, never one bad thought, just one is all it takes to separate. And they were trying to go about it By their works. God gave them. 
God chose them. He gave them a prescription of who he was. He gave them the law to show them that they needed him. They did all these things showing who they were. He gave them religious practices. Here's your order of service. Here's how you are to worship me to show how holy he was. He gave them everything that they needed. But yet they chose to go at it their own way. They would fall away from God. God would bring them back. They would fall away from God. God would bring them back. They'd fall away from God. God would try to bring them back. And they kept going on. And they kept going on trying to do it their own way. Look at the end there, verse 7. It says, what then, what is Israel seeking? It is not obtained, but the chosen obtained it. And the rest were hardened. There are some Jews who chose to obtain God's righteousness the way he said it. And then there are others who were hardened. What is it talking about then when he talks about hardening? Have you ever seen petrified wood? It's hard like a rock. It's not pliable. It's not porous. It's hard as a rock. And what he's saying here is the rest were hardened. Speaking of their heart, their heart had become hardened to what they needed. They had so long rejected the way that God told them to come that their hearts were hardened and they no longer even responded. They were fine in seeking it their own way. They were fine at going about what they had formed as religion. That's a scary place to be. Then let's look here thirdly, verse 8. Just as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor. Greatly dulled sense. God gave them a spirit of stupor, a state of extreme apathy. I want you to understand one thing. I have a quote. Let's see. I don't know if I'm out of order here. Can you find that quote for me? Leon Morris said this, Let us notice first that neither here nor anywhere else is God said to harden anyone who had not first hardened himself. Just leave that there just a minute. What's he saying? When it says in scripture that God gave them a spirit of stupor, their hearts were hardened. And there comes a point that your heart becomes so hardened that God just allows you to stay there. And you no longer feel a call. You no longer feel a conviction. So let's look back there at verse 8. God gave them a spirit of stupor. Extreme apathy. There's a lot that happens there. God just didn't give it because he didn't want them. They were already there. They had become using their own way. And God finally just said, I'll let them have it. But do you know what happens? You know, it's one thing for one person to maybe deny God long enough that you no longer feel the call. But when it becomes a group of people, the problem with that is, let's look at today real quick. If you have a mom and a dad and they have a family That mom and dad reject God long enough that there's no longer a call in their life. Their heart has become hardened like petrified wood. They become apathetic to God and to what God's plans are. Do you know what happens? 
then they have children. And you know, those children are raised in a home that's apathetic toward God. They have no desire for God. And then they have children, and they have children. And the cycle goes on and on and on. And that's what's happened here with these Jews. It's what they have become. And it's passed down for generation to generation. God can step in and he can break through that. Oh, yes, he can. But let me tell you, it's difficult when you're raised that way. And that's all that you understand. Let's look there at verse 9. It says, and David says, let their table become a snare and a trap. Let their table become a snare and a trap. What is he talking about? Their table. It's their blessings. It's their religious acts. Their religious processes. Their religious observance. Let's look at Psalm 69. He's referring here. Psalm 69 verse 22. May their table before them become a snare, and when they are in peace, may it become a trap. May their eyes darken so that they cannot see and make their loins quake continually. God had blessed them. God had given them everything they needed to point them to who he was. And David was saying, basically, let all of that be their snare. You know the problem? If we would find a problem right now with those Jews, is they are wrapped up in their process, their religious process. We're God's chosen people. He's blessed us. But yet they deny that Jesus was his son. They deny that Jesus has been raised from the grave. They're in the middle of Israel, in the middle of Jerusalem. Where Jesus was, where they saw him crucified, where Jesus walked and talked among them. And yet they still say that's not who it is. They've become hard hardened. They got a petrified heart. They don't feel that calling anymore. Their observances, the things that they do, their worship. Says, so can it be a stumbling block? You see, that's where they are. They've gotten wrapped up. Okay, we're going to have some red light today. But let me tell you, that's not too far from us. How many people do you know that have gotten wrapped up in coming to church? Doing all the things they're supposed to do. And yet missing what it is that it's all about. You can just turn them off. We'll be fine. Because that church. Is where people get stuck. I go to church. I'm good. I, I go to you know. <laughs> I'm really good. I even go to Wednesday night prayer meeting. Maybe what about the religious observances. I've been up there. And I've been baptized. Do you know out of the people. That I share the gospel with. Out and about, I would probably say that 95%, when I ask people if they are a believer in Christ, you know the response I get? I've been baptized. 
I'm glad you have. We can go home and get in the bathtub and do that. But what amazes me is they think that's what it is. Because when you ask them this question, have you ever heard that God created a perfect world and that sin entered in and that we have sinned and that separated us from God and God loved us enough that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to do what? To take our place. He paid our penalty. Jesus never sinned, but he paid our penalty of death on that cross and then he was raised again. 95% I've never heard that before they go to church it's part of my life it's routine I've been baptized I'm a Christian because I've been baptized but they've never heard the gospel so I'm going to say baloney to that but that's exactly where they were they've gotten caught up in the religious practices and the observances that were given to them they keep the feast they keep all of these things even still to this day we keep keeping them but it doesn't do it because it's already said that it's by God's grace through faith in his son only but they have so long been doing that that God has allowed their heart to become hardened and they no longer hear the calling and the conviction It has become a stumbling block. What God gave them has become their own stumbling block to receiving. But you see, God has not forgot his promise. There will be a calling again of his people, the nation, Israel, those Jews. But what I want to ask you today, what we can see here. I want you to be very careful, church, that you don't allow the conviction and the calling of Holy Spirit on your life to become a believer in him because you keep denying what he says, that it's through faith in his son only. It's not about being good. It's not about being better than someone else. It's not about, do I do all the things I'm supposed to do? Now, yeah, there's things we do because we're grateful for our salvation. Do you know someone maybe that you can pray for who has not come solely on the basis of faith? But I want to tell you here to to beware of the hardening. What do I mean? You say, Pastor, I'm already a believer. God can't harden my heart. When we sin, the Holy Spirit convicts us and we should instantly, as a believer, stop and to repent. We need to confess, agree with God that that is sin, that we have sinned, and go to him for forgiveness. You know what happens is we sin, the Holy Spirit convicts, we repent, we sin again. But for some, there becomes a time that they begin to not repent of that sin. Maybe it becomes a habit in their life. I pray that you never allow the conviction of Holy Spirit to become a hardening on your heart because you refuse to confess. There does come a time that we don't hear and we have to go back to the Lord. 
Finally, we hear and we repent. I might have shared, I heard a story one time of a man was in the hospital, he was dying. I don't know the legitimacy of this, but I believe it really hits this point well. He was dying in the hospital and a believer, I think it was a pastor, went and he shared the gospel with him. And he said, would you like to receive Christ? The man looked at him and said, I can't. He said, what do you mean you can't? He said, the God has called me and he called me and I rejected it. He said, I remember very clearly one day. God said, this is the last time. He said, I rejected him and walked away again. He says, I can't. I believe God can do anything. But there does become a time in a lost person's life that their hearts grow so cold to God that they never hear that calling again. And I pray for us as believers that we don't allow our hearts to grow cold and hard to the conviction of Holy Spirit in our life. Lastly, verse 10 says, Let their eyes be darkened to see not and bend their backs forever. The Jews hadn't so far fallen away, but they've rejected so long that their hearts are hard, and now they're stuck in their sin. But I want you to understand that God is capable of keeping his promise, and he promised that the Israel would have a place in the kingdom. And he will, as we're going to see, he will bring them back. Right now, even in this day, there's an influx of the Gentiles. But there is coming that day. He can keep a promise to you. He can keep a promise to a friend of yours who may not know Christ, that's lost, that he will call again, that he loves all, it says, whosoever will. But I want you to leave today as we've looked over these, not thinking that God has forgotten about his people Israel because of what we've seen in Scripture. He's just saying that there's a remnant left and that there is a time coming. Would you bow your heads? Father God, I just, Father, I humbly come before you. Father, I plead with you. Lord, if there's anyone here today, regardless if they think they're a good person or not, regardless if they've been baptized, regardless, if there's anyone here today, Lord, that is lost, who has never come to you in faith, through your son, Jesus Christ, blood shed on the cross. Father, would you allow Holy Spirit to overwhelmingly convict right now? Father, they can be brought out of the bondage, the burden of sin into peace and joy and righteousness in you. Father, remove all hindrances, all distractions, the word move. In a special way, Father, because, Lord, you don't promise us another chance, Father. I don't want anyone here, Lord, to reject you again today and become hardened to where they don't feel you calling anymore. Father, overwhelmingly, call them now. Father, I pray if there's someone here, Lord, that 
is a believer in you. And Father, it's been a while since they've confessed or there's some sin that's become a habit. That Father, you would soften their heart right now and convict them of that, that they may repent to you. And Father, you can break those chains. Father, thank you that you are a promise keeper. Father, you made a covenant with your chosen people. And Father, you will follow through with that Why it may not seem like it right now. But Father, we have evidence that you keep your covenants. Father, I pray that you would move in a mighty way today. Father, I ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. If you would just stand right where you are, just leave your heads bowed for a moment. We're going to open these altars for just a moment.